Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. All right, how's it going, Taylor? Going very well, Matt. Thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. Seeing you and your stash all over the news. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, really great response. Love it, dude. I honestly think it looks really good on you. Even though I'm afraid you're going to pull me over. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as Emily says she likes it, then I'll shave it. So you yeah, she has not relented one bit. So We're going to do a bit of an intro on this show. Like We recorded this a few weeks ago, but we wanted a more updated intro because there are a lot of things happening right now yeah. in the state related in BC and the Okanagan, and we wanted to try and stay on top of it. So yeah, There's three topics that came up that are just like, Damn, they are very relevant to our show. So the first one is speculation tactics expanded today, expanding into Vernon, Coldstream, Penticton, Summerland, Lake Country, Peachland, all in our area. Also, Courtney, Comox, Cumberland, Barksville, Qualicum Beach, Salmon Arm, and Kamloops. This is kind of goes into effect in 2024, like the vacant homes in 2024, and it affected 2025. Start right, Taylor, and then uh, yeah, this yeah. Is big news because they've all been exempt. So people have been kind of moving there for that or buying places to there to get out of the Coloma speculation tax. Yeah. And so what that does, I think as it stands right now, if you rent your property out for six months or longer on like a long-term tenancy or family or owner occupied, you're exempt, you still have to file. But if it is just like a vacation property or you're using it as like an Airbnb, then there's spec tax on it. Now that's a good segue into short-term rental is it kind of goes hand in hand with that. So if the short-term rental legislation passes, then really this would just be penalizing people that are not putting their you know unit back on the market for long-term rent. New federal legislation, yeah. Well, yeah. even on top of that, yeah, there's another item. So federally, they are talking about further tax implications that you're not allowed to claim uh, yeah. some of tax expenses against your Airbnb. So they're literally trying to hammer this at every single angle that kind of just stuck at the radar there and better yeah yeah the one has gotten everybody up in arms municipally yeah that's where you became famous at your uh yeah yeah so uh you know haven't been on a date in a while so emily and i went out to the uh, public hearing together yeah it started at three if you got there a bit early you got a pretty good seat it wrapped up at 7 30. the general temperature i took is i would say about 95 to 98 percent of the speakers were pro short-term rental they did not want to see a blanket legislation come in and you know it was interesting i didn't know honestly when you're sitting there for 20 minutes before and people are walking in and out of the room you're kind of trying to judge which way the crowd's leaning i was like man it's probably a 50 50 split like i just couldn't tell who was pro and who wasn't so it's nice to step a little bit out of your echo chamber. Like maybe that's still an echo chamber there. It's hard to say, but the stories that came across. Probably great. New towards people on the same as you. But yeah, I can imagine. That's still a lot. 95% or 98% of that's a lot. Yeah. And they were really, they had a lot of valid points. Like KGH is a hospital for a huge Okanagan Valley, but even expanding into the Kootenays, you know, and people are providing accommodation for hospice and cancer patients and families supporting them. And they're not even units that could be put back on the rental market. It's a room in somebody's house and they would never rent it out long-term to somebody because they have a growing family that comes and goes space for their kids to grow up or come back from college. So there was that point. That's still out to do that, right? Part of your house or trying to get ahead of it with the non-conforming, conforming, primary use, non-primary use. Basically everyone was pushing for a deferral, which is essentially yeah. got voted last night. It means, you know, just take our foot off the gas and let's wait and see what comes down from the province. But we're wanting the municipality like Ryan Smith and Tom Dyes to go to the provincial government and be our voice and say, we need a Kelowna-specific solution because Kelowna is so unique to this issue. I don't know about you, but I've never really thought about it until I was there last night, and everyone's saying the same thing. Like, we're such a specific community. Some of the points where students come, you know, there's large apprenticeships here for Okanagan College. Students might come for a couple months, 
traveling nurses, traveling doctors. The other interesting point somebody made was, so we only have, I think it's two on staff for bylaw and administration within Kelowna to enforce short-term rental where Victoria has seven. And originally I was like, yeah, just hire more staff if that's the main issue, if we can't enforce these bylaws. But somebody brought up a lot of the buildings already have staff in them, like Discovery Bay. They have on-site security guards and maintenance people. And like, it is being policed. So maybe that's why we don't need as much staff. The argument on the other side were mostly complaint-driven, so noise complaints. There were obviously some housing affordability issues, but I think the noise complaints would be mitigated by having more bylaw enforcement. But yeah, in general, it was really good. The council seemed to be very receptive of it. So all in all, I've got a fairly positive vibe that we will get a Kelowna-based solution, fingers crossed. It comes down from the province, right? And like the meeting yesterday. So now they're going to defer and wait for the province to kind of their final decision before they make a decision in Kelowna, right? Yeah. And we're not allowed to be less strict than the province. We can only yeah. be more strict. However, baseline is we can add more rules on top. Yeah. yeah, but we can apply for exemptions for specific properties and specific zones. And everyone made a ton of really great points last night. Like it was four hours of like everyone that stood up, like kudos to you. It was great for both sides. But, uh, <laughs> Mostly yours. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. Everyone was clapping for the pro SDR people because they were like making great points. And then Tom had to ask everyone to stop clapping. And he actually paused the meeting for 10 minutes and took a break, you know, didn't make the crowd really happy. However, I think his point was, listen, if we want quality and fairness and people to be comfortable coming up speaking, we can't encourage one side and not the other. It was emotional, you know, it was hard not to be supportive of it. So (laughs) a little further on top of that, our last kind of point before we go into our actual intro is the inflation the report came out recently, so it's come down to 3.1% from 3.8%. It's a pretty substantial drop. That's and amazing. That surprised me. Like I was having coffee in the morning and that came out and I was like, damn, this is significant. Yeah. So it has been trending down. It did have a little hiccup a couple months ago. You know, that's getting very, very close into the range that we want to see. And, you know, Bank of Canada has come out now and kind of not that we can really trust them, but they have said, hey, we are going in the right direction. We do expect rates to plateau, maybe come down in the spring 2024. So very positive for kind of everyone. And the bond market and fixed rates are still coming down. So we're uh, we're starting to see probably a more comfortable market moving into the new year. Yeah, yeah. I think next year might be a good year for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, today's guest, everyone probably knows the name. Everyone's seen the face as they're driving up Bridge Hill. On TV commercials, billboards. Radio. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, founder of Vantage, and it's AJ Hazzy, and yeah, he was a great guest, really entertaining guy, and he is doing everything right. He is doing everything in real estate. Yeah, he kind of goes like the founding story of it, the origin story. Yeah. Pretty interesting how he yeah. kind of got started out, building a team, the pros and cons, the kind of struggle it takes, and the, the hard work and the mindset that he has to be successful in the ups and the downs. So it was a fun one. Yeah, it was great talking to him. It was really good. So we'll uh, we'll cut to that. And yeah, we'll try and keep these updates more relevant as they keep coming in. But man, the government is moving fast at changing rules on us. So both governments at this point. Yeah. yeah. Or all three. So yeah, a lot to keep up with. That's why the good folks over at Kelowna Real Estate Podcast are keeping you up to date. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Enjoy the show, guys. Okay. AJ Hazzy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a long time coming. Yeah, it has been a long time coming for you to be here. Yeah, we like to dive right into just connecting to our listeners. So what's your perfect Friday look like? How are you productive? What gives you energy? And yeah, leading into the weekend for some fun. Sure. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm a up at four guy doing an ice bath. That's not <laughs> my jam. But uh, I do like to get after around six, get up. Definitely, you know, I have my... AG1, Joe Rogan got me there. And then I have my uh, mud water, which is like the mushroom replacement. Gets the brain going. It's good. And then I usually hop down into a gym. I got a gym in my basement. Yeah. Get a sweat on and then try to read a little bit. And then that's sort of like the personal development side of it. I want to hang out with my kid for a little bit before things get crazy. Yeah. And then try to work on something that moves the needle in my business. One of those sort of like 
non-urgent but critical type projects on a yeah. Friday. So I'd like to sink my teeth into that for yeah. a couple of hours uninterrupted. And then ultimately on a Friday, I want to shut my day down by two and do something fun, whether it's, you know, a game of squash with the boys or around a golf or some pickleball now that's getting hot. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Are you uh, like no coffee? Is that what the mud water's doing? So again, like you can sell me anything on Instagram, but somebody has told me that 90 minutes of waking up before your first coffee prevents that lag or that sort of drop off of energy that you get from coffee. Okay. So I just have my first coffee after I've been up for 90 minutes. And that usually accompanies me settling into my work for the day. Cool. Yeah, I've been near a heated debate as well for AG1. It was like a pharmacist against somebody else who was taking it. And I took it for a couple months. I don't know. I thought it was good. Can't hurt. No. Uh, do you notice like a noticeable difference? Absolutely. Like yeah? for sure. And maybe it's placebo. My wife tells me I have the worst placebo effect. <laughs> like I can go all in. But I feel like it's works great. And it's replaced a lot of things in my cupboard. I used to have all these different vitamins that, yeah. you know, even just from an efficiency standpoint, it's great. Yeah. I find just like the mindset of doing something, whether it's actually moving the needle in health or not, you have the mindset of, okay, since I've taken that, maybe I'm not going to have an extra drink the night before, or now I need to go exercise because I need to put it to use. So totally. I think there's just something about taking a big green drink down in the morning <laughs> that makes you feel like you're doing something. It gets likes on Instagram too. So I don't is it, I'm not that. <laughs> is that the part of being a good salesman is being an easy sell? Cause both of you guys, like I feel like, like yeah, I'm a complete lay down. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. So do you try and work at home a lot? Are you in the office as much as you can or how do you try and balance that? Right now, just because things are getting a little more challenging in the market, I feel like I need to be in the office more leading from the front. But yeah. previously, what I was doing was Tuesdays and Thursdays were my office days. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I was working from home because I was finding that like, I could get in that flow state yeah, from my home office. Yeah. Whereas when you're in the office, I've got an open door policy to get a lot of you know, minutes. Yeah. So you just don't get that uninterrupted workflow. I'm like that in my office too. When I go there, it's like, it's awesome for working and socializing, but my God, it's hard to get stuff done because all the agents coming in there and yeah, so I understand the days at home. Yeah. And we have like a tight knit group of, you know, 20 or so people that yeah. we all are friends and we like hanging out. So yeah, for sure. It is, uh, yeah. it is tough to stay focused, but we're getting stuff done now. We're, we're all focused on crushing it for the yeah. last quarter of this year, for sure. So good. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to tell us kind of the origin story, how you started them? Like just how far yeah. back do you want to go? <laughs> Let's did, go back to when you started the brokerage. Okay, we can go yeah. to the brokerage. Yeah. So I kind of went out, flamed out of Remax in a blaze of glory, 2007. <laughs> Things were really hot. I had a little team. Yeah. I had my assistant and buyer's agent, and yeah. we were rolling. We were selling over 100 homes, and nice. it was going pretty good. And it was in the middle of summer. I had one of my listings, went under contract, and then I got another offer on it right away. Obviously, that went to my assistant. She relayed the information to me, said, okay, great, counter that as a counter offer back to the others, and yeah. accept it as a backup. Yeah. Well, there was no language in there that oh, that was a backup. That it was a backup. So now I had two people with a right to oh. purchase this property, and it got messy. I was paying my clients' mortgage for a while to make sure that they still loved me. But yeah, in the end, it got publicized that a Remax agent had sold a house twice, and it became sort of like a a little viral at the time. Yeah, so, yeah. I got called into the office. Got to let you go. I said, "Shoot, can I have thirty days?" He said, "Sure." So I had thirty days to put a brokerage together. So I had to find a space, create a brand and, you know, get licensed, get a managing broker because I didn't have the license at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So I had to get on to, at the time it was Conexus, that's what preceded Matrix. And we would go on there and I would look for people with a broker's license that weren't doing that much business, that were working from home. And I just started calling and by the time I got to the third person, I found somebody that was willing to come on board and be our broker. And then we had to put the branding package together. I mean, it was a lot in 30 days. Yeah. But what, so, what that taught me is like... Something will take as much time. It's like Moore's Law, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, that planning to start a brokerage could take you two years or it could take you 30 days, whatever that periodization yeah. that you have. And it is possible to do things in a very short amount of time. Yeah. I've heard that story before, but not like that. That's kind of amazing. So how long were you an agent at that point? When that happened? So I got licensed in 2002 and that was 2008. So six years. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then did you have plans on your brokerage before that? Or is it just like, holy shit, we're going? Yeah. So... My good friend, Joel Sherlock, he yeah. was working at BMW at the time. Yeah. He and I had just gone on a trip to Las Vegas, had Perfect. a blast together. Yeah. Had that mindset. And as you do over, you know, a bottle of Grey Goose in yeah. the VIP room when you're yeah. 25, you yeah. solve the world's problems. And we figured we needed a luxury boutique real estate firm. And yeah. he was like the top or top two in Canada for selling BMWs. So he yeah. had the Rolodex of high net worth people. And yeah. uh, so he's like, I got to get into the real estate game. And so we had this sort of like 
sort of slow burn simmery plan to do it. Yeah. But you know, who knows if it would have ever happened without the necessity of yeah. becoming nuclear. Yeah. That's kind of awesome. Now you've grown, obviously you're super well-known in Kelowna. You have a few different departments. Like what is Vantage West now? So Vantage is the resale. So we've got Vantage yeah. West Realty and then we've yeah. got project sales and marketing now. Yeah. And we've got a property management company that manages over a thousand doors. We've got some really productive property managers there. And then we've got our construction division yep. and our real estate development division. And we have a private equity fund as well, where people wow. pool their money to do some fun real estate deals. And how many hats? Like, do you have a builder's license as well? Like, geez. Yeah, you're doing it all, all things real estate. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I wonder if perhaps focusing, I would have been further along, but you know that serial entrepreneur yeah. thing that some of us have? Yeah, yeah, so... Maybe you're just waiting for the next crisis to come and uh, make something happen. I think that crisis is upon us. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like that's kind of a good segue into like, obviously this market is quite challenging for a lot of Asians. Like do you foresee a big exodus or like, what about someone coming into the industry? Like what do you think is going on right now? Well, certainly there's going to be challenges. I think that a lot of the realtors that have been around for a long time, yeah, same thing happened. I went through the whole 2007, eight. Yeah. And what we found was the people who were kind of on the back nine of their career, yeah. While it was too good to leave, like it's just business was just coming at them. It was like, I can't give this up. Yeah. But now that it's become a bit of a grind, you'll see that they're going, okay, now would be a time for me to just yeah. sort of exit stage left and enjoy my retirement. Yeah. So you're going to see a fair amount of our realtors, like the average age realtor in Kelowna is still over 60. So there's going to be a number. Oh, of wow. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's getting younger because a lot of, yeah. you know, the new blood piled in over the last yeah. you know, five years or so. Yeah. So I think you'll see that attrition. And then of course you've got the new folks and just statistically not everybody will you know get traction in the business. But I do think it's an opportunity because one thing I've learned and I've coached you know hundreds of agents over the years, yeah. it does you a disservice starting your career when things are hot. Yeah. Because you don't learn that it's actually our job to play offense with the phone. You're really just, for lack of a better term, an order taker, right? Yeah. The business is coming at you so fast and you feel like it's kind of, this is the norm. The clientele should initiate contact with us and we should really just be facilitating this like, you know, barrage of business. It doesn't work that way. We need to be the ones that are showing that leadership. We need to be, you know, bringing the message to the marketplace. We need to be the ones that are helping people navigate tricky times. And, yeah. and so I think starting your career now you're going to set those habits in place, right? And if you can stand your ground through this challenging time and you can continue to, you know, push that water uphill with a rake, yeah. so to speak, yeah. eventually what ends up happening is people gravitate towards the person who's optimistic, who is showing strength in the market. Yeah. And then all of a sudden things start getting progressively better and you have those habits and you've got yeah. you know, that momentum going. And then that's when you get a disproportionate amount of business on the other side. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you can get through this, like semi-decently to the other side, like you are just set for the other side. 100%. Yeah. You know, it's that whole saying where, you know, hard times create strong men and yeah. then strong men create good times. Yeah. Yeah. We're just on the opposite side of that right now. We just had really good times to create yeah. a lot of weak men and women. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you always hear like, you're going to become an agent. You hear that, like, I don't know what the percentage is, like 90% don't last two years or 80 or something like that. Like, I don't think it's that high, but they well, do say that. Yeah. Like a significant percentage don't last two years. And then we had the COVID boom. It was almost like you didn't see that. Everybody was seemed to be getting through. But now it's almost like it's on the other side of that. It's almost worse than it would be on just an average year. For sure. Well, you look at the numbers. You know, when we were going through that, the height of COVID, we were doing almost a thousand deals a month. Yeah. Right. And so if there's a thousand agents, let's say at the time that were active, you know, there's at least enough proportionally for everybody to eat. Yeah. Have one a month. Yeah. Now we're actually below 300 deals a month happening now. And because it was so good, we had another... 200 or so agents start their career. So now you've got 1,200 agents trying yeah. to share 300 deals. And that's not a fun proposition for many. So, Do you find similarities between the 2008 somewhat crisis to now? Like being an agent and as an investor, kind of two-part question? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. That was 15 years ago. To me, it still feels like yesterday because that's right when we launched Vantage West and that's yeah. right when we kind of had to make a name for ourselves. So yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of similarities, but for different reasons, right? In 2008, it wasn't interest rates particularly that were the reason why we were heading into hard times. Whereas yeah. now this is very much dependent on interest rates. It's really just an affordability picture. Yeah. If I go back to 2008, you had a lot of people getting mortgages that shouldn't have. Yeah. It was zero down, 40-year amortization. Yeah. And so they were making it very easy to get in, but a lot of these folks 
really were not in a position to be doing that. And then, of course, inventory got up to 18 months. Prices started coming down. And a lot of these folks who had got in with zero down were well underwater on their properties. So you had this big glut of foreclosures. I don't see that coming this time. We only have about a dozen foreclosures on the market now. Yeah. Granted, only a third of the pain from the mortgage resets has been felt to this point. Yeah. But I think we're not going to see this huge glut of foreclosures. It'll go up for sure, but I don't think we're going to see hundreds the way we did back in 2009, 10, 11. Yeah, yeah. I think like with the stress test and the higher down payments, our market feels pretty safe on that side to me. Even if you have to sell your property for a discount, like it feels like there's enough equity there, especially after the last boom. That there's going to be some that are underwater, no doubt, but like, it just doesn't feel like there's going to be a million. Well, we had Brennan Augmentson on, BC Chief Economist for yeah Real Estate Board. He said that, this was the largest amount of savings Canadians had in like the past 20 year history, I think it was. And I think that's obviously just because the appreciation boom. And also because during COVID, you couldn't spend money on anything. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, was, travel, a, you can it was a forced savings. Yeah. People did refis, but they essentially put the equity back into their house with renovations or purchased another property. But yeah, you're right. I think it's 65% of renewals on mortgages are going to happen in 2024 and 2025. So there is like a large increase in people's payment that's going to be coming up soon sure. so provided they don't reduce in time which yeah. is always you know the optimistic view exactly so not to like really go into rates at all but i guess where do you see the market going from now is it steady incline or are we just kind of plateaued is worst case scenario is there potentially going to be a crash or is this kind of low point over the last two months we've seen a pretty decent drop in pricing so we saw 10 percent in condos we saw nearly six percent in single family and we saw three percent in townhomes simultaneously we've seen the inventory levels of single family homes get above 10 for october that's quite high right we were at about 13 months in january of last year so i think by the time we get to january you could see that number up above 13, which means that's downward pressure on price. And we're already on that trajectory. So I do think price-wise, it gets a little worse before it gets better. I think we're likely to see a rate pause here. And potentially, by the time we get into Q2 of next year, I suspect they start reducing rates, which we saw what happened last time in the spring. Yeah. As soon as they paused, yeah. of all that, we had 3% monthly incline, which is why they went back into the rate increases, because they needed to slow that demand down. But I think we're going to see a lot of pent up demand, just like we saw with COVID. A lot of people couldn't move for that period of time. And then as soon as it was game on again, there was all that pent up demand. I think we'll see that again because there's a lot of people who are kind of locked in their houses right now. If they have low interest on their mortgage, it just doesn't make sense to move. You're not going to yeah. sell your house and go from 2.29 or yeah. 2.5 and go and try and requalify at six and a half. You just won't. So those people aren't going to move. But as soon as that comes back down into, even if it's just around 5%, I think it's game on again. So I think we have a short-term window of pain to go through. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in that window. But I do see things kind of getting back on track towards the end of next year. Yeah. Where do you think the opportunity is? Like what should investors be thinking? Well, you got to look at, you know, if a property is really just an investor property, whether it's like a small multifamily, maybe it's a fiveplex or an eightplex, things like that. You know, the big stuff that's like 40 units and that, A, there's not much of that here in Kelowna. Yeah. B, those are sort of impervious to downturns because the risk is so spread out over all the different yeah. units. But I think the smaller multifamilies where it's not going to sell to just, you know, a typical person, it's going to require an investor well, the bank is going to try to qualify that at seven and a half or eight percent interest today because the rates for investors are quite high. Yeah. It doesn't pencil out, and so this property that you know a year ago would have been worth one five or one eight, if you're trying to finance that, the bank's going to give you like a lending value almost below a million bucks. And most people selling that stuff will say no, thank you. But there will be people who are in a position where they got to take what they get, and for them a million dollars or 1.1 on that property could still be a win if they bought it 15 years ago for yeah. 400 or 500K, which is often the case. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for me, that's what I'm looking for is like small multifamily that the rates and everything are helping me because the cap rate would have to be so high. I'd have to buy it at a cap rate of eight or 9% to justify what I'd have to finance it at. And that's doing the negotiation for you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think four years ago, like cap rates were getting so compressed, you know, even in Kelowna, but like Vancouver as well, just, it was insane. So now it's kind of far getting a bit, a bit of a balance now. Yeah. We're not there yet. There's still some price discovery to be had, but yeah. Well, in terms of property management, I guess like, I know this is Kelowna real estate podcast, but do you believe in the market here as an investor? I only say that because like BC tenancy agreement is, you know, very restrictive. 
do you guys see rental increases happening? Like I have three property managers. They do an amazing job. It's not a job that I really want to be involved in whatsoever, but one property I self-manage. Mm-hmm. I put out an ad a few months ago for a new tenant. I had over a hundred responses. Ninety-nine of them, sorry, ninety-eight of them were terrible. Sounds um, like a Facebook Marketplace. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I showed two. You hear this narrative from renters, and I'm not picking on renters, but it is such a hard market. It is impossible to find somewhere. Landlords are so evil. But most of the responses I got was, "Hey, is this still available?" And then you'd follow up with any kind of like, I wouldn't even respond to most of those, but anyone that wrote a detailed message, like, how are you guys finding the rental market in terms of property management? Is it still strong as an investor? Like, is the long-term rental game in Kelowna make sense or should we take our money to Alberta? Good question. And, you know, obviously I sell here in Kelowna, but watch what someone does versus what they say. Well, over the last year, year and a half, the only acquisition I've made is the property in Sylvan Lake, Alberta. I haven't been able to make anything work here in the type of investment that I look at. I like Kelowna long-term for the capital gain aspect. And when you can find cash flow, it's amazing, but I've yet to find anything lately that gives you that positive cash flow, particularly because I like leverage when I buy properties. So I haven't found anything that pencils here. So I've looked to Alberta and certainly I can tell you that little nineplex that we bought in Alberta, we've increased their rents by like 40% over the last year and a half. Whereas in Kelowna, you know, we're limited, obviously. As soon as somebody gets, you know, affordable rent, they're not giving that up. Yeah. And so luckily this year, they did give us the largest rent increase we've seen in the last handful of years. And so, you know, you get incremental gains, but it is hard to make stuff pencil here right now. Yeah. Cash is king. If you can do it without financing, I think if you can buy something like a six or a seven cap, I mean, it has to be better than what you're going to get in a short-term GIC, right? But if you can buy something at a six or seven cap, I think you have a lot of of upside in that when the rates do come back down. Yeah. I got to circle back right to the beginning. Was starting the brokerage the crux of the last 10 years? Like what was the most difficult? Because to me, that sounds like incredibly stressful, but assuming there's also been some pain points, is it just the constant up and down or was that kind of the hardest part of starting the brokerage and managing it and now it's been working upwards you know it's funny i was 25 when i started the brokerage and for whatever reason it didn't seem hard at that time it was just we just did what we had to do and so i don't even look back at that as a big hardship i just sort of see it as a lesson that you can do a lot in 30 days yeah along the way there's been some challenges i was fortunate i had a mentor sort of enter my world in about 2012 named michael plowman he shared a lot of the stuff that he had already implemented in Toronto. He had built the largest real estate team in the Ontario real estate board at that time. So he'd kind of seen into the future with this super team concept we developed. Yeah. And so we started implementing that. But between 2008 and 2012, which would be a similar market that we're in now, that was a challenge for sure. I mean, I had a lot of overhead suddenly I didn't have before, right? And I had yeah. multiple salaries and rent, you know, and, you know, I spend 20 times that per month now. But at that time, there was a lot of overhead to carry. So the challenge, of course, was like, how do we do deals in a down market? So we became, you know, known as creative deal makers. So we could sort of architect a deal with whether it was vendor financing or lease options and just different strategies that you can use in a down market. And then we just got known for putting out decent content. And you look back at some of our YouTube content from like 2010, it wasn't great, but at the time it was good. It was just explaining the foreclosure process or yeah. explaining different Well, things. at least you're doing it. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that was how we survived. And yeah, there were some tough times, but along my career, it's always been something that's like shown up right at the right time. Like just when things look like they're getting dark, like I remember 2011, there was a dark period. We hadn't sold much and coming into the fall and it was to be a little skinny. And I was like, where are we going to make payroll, right? How are we going to you know, keep this thing going? And then I get a referral from a client that I had sold like a, you know, a very blue collar home over on the West side. He's like, Hey, would you show my uncle a lot? I said, yeah, sure. What's he looking at? He says, well, he wants to go look at it like right away here. I think it's out in the mission. Okay. Sounds good. So I jumped in the car and, you know, had things been busier, that might be a referral at the time I might've been too cool for school. But thankfully I said the right thing on the phone and got in my car. I'm thinking I'm going out there for like $130,000 lot at that time. That's where pricing was. Get out to the end of Lakeshore and he's looking at, you know, a property that was over $10 million. And so... (laughs) You know, that saved our bacon and saved Christmas that year. And so there's just been a lot of little things along the way that have kind of been like that, where, you know, we just trust in the universe and yeah. some opportunity is clicked at the right time that's been able to get over the tough times. People say like, just get lucky. You just get lucky, but you have to put yourself in a position to be lucky, yeah, right? Sure. And like you have to, there's a lot of people that just don't do anything and just expect somebody to come knock on their door. It's like, no, you got to put yourself out there and then the things will happen. 
right? Like, there's, I have a few stories like that as well, where it's just people are like, oh, you got so lucky. It's like, yeah, but I've knocked on 500 doors before the one. Yeah. Well, I mean, other people say, oh my God, Matt, like he gets all these lucky door knocking opportunities. It's like, yeah, I'm like the thousands. Exactly. Like I've knocked every door in this side of the city. Yeah. Stop knocking like, on my door, man. <laughs> Super. <laughs> that was a few years ago, but you know, like you just do what you got to do to do it yeah. and you get breaks. So you put yourself in the right position. Yeah, so totally. Although you said too about the creative financing, I've kind of been beating this drum lately too. About like, I'm surprised I haven't seen more listings offering vendor financing or rent to own options because like, would there be a serious market for that? Like, what do you think is kind of market in that? For sure. I think there's a lack of understanding about how that works. And yeah. most real estate agents, it doesn't even pop into their head for that. They're kind of a one trick pony. It's like, yeah. I either can sell your house at a price that you're willing yeah. to accept or I guess I can't help you. Yeah. Well, there's actually a pretty nice step in between and that's lease options or agreements for sale. And so the really good thing for all of our listeners who are maybe in the business, if you have a client that is currently for sale and then they realize, okay, the house isn't selling, my next move is to rent it. These folks are the prime candidate for a rent to own or an agreement for sale because they're already going down the path of, having only half a month's rent as security and having someone yeah. else they don't know in their property and yeah. hoping that they take care of it. And then because of course their first choice is to sell it, they now know that they've got a whole host of renovations to do at the end before they can put it back on the market. And there's a number of you know costs associated with that. Plus they have to manage that property for that period of time and anything that comes up yeah. for those two years, as we know, as landlords, you're on the hook for. So yeah. proposition to that person would be well, what if somebody was going to take care of your home for those two years as a property owner would, because that's what a rent to own contract yeah. suggests. Yeah. They're going to make a payment that's slightly higher than rent because we're going to attribute a portion of that payment towards the purchase price. Yeah. And that payment's modeled after the real cost of ownership. Yeah. And they're going to buy the property off you, which is your ultimate goal at the end of the term. And you might even get 15, 10 or 20, $30,000 down payment from that person initially as well. Isn't that a much better proposition than just putting the home on the market yeah. as a rental? I mean, it may be more difficult for you guys, but it's get to know your client you know, 40% of homeowners in Canada don't have a mortgage. Sure. So what are you going to do with that money? Like just, it's a great opportunity if they have the capital there that they don't need right away. Yeah. You're talking about vendor financing yeah. for sure. I mean, if they can get their money in the bank working for five and a quarter right now. So provided that that vendor financing provided a better yield than that, then their money's invested in an asset they already know and understand, which yeah. is the home they were living in. Yeah. It does represent a pretty good opportunity. I think for the last few years, it's been so easy to sell a house. And plus, you can't compete with the one something interest rates. So this has never crossed anyone's mind. But lately, I, I've just seen such an opportunity for these kinds of things to happen. Right? I've floated it to some sellers and nobody's really bit yet. But I just, I feel like it's happening. 2024, yeah. I think it will come. And in all sectors of the market, like currently within our office, like I'm still kind of the deal doctor. I help people put these deals together. Yeah. We're working on one that's over $10 million sale that's got vendor financing attached to it. Yeah. And then we're working on condominiums in the 300 to 350 range that have vendor financing attached. So it's not like a thing that skews either low end or high end. It's truly across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's mostly people that know what that is. Like you said, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. Like investors seem to take advantage of that mostly. Like the vendor financing deals I wrote are like for regular properties, but the client is someone that owns lots of property because they just know like you don't get what you don't ask for. Yeah. Right? Some of these offers that I'm writing, I'm like, I have blue collar clients would just never even consider doing something like this where this guy is just telling me to do this. And it's just, um, yeah, you don't get what you don't ask for. And the opportunities are there. With the creative side of things. So I think the billboard's still there, but it's basically, if we can't sell your house, I'll buy it. Do you want to walk us through that? Like, I love seeing that. Is that still something that yeah. you guys offer? Absolutely. And this is the market where that as a value proposition really starts to land, right? Yeah. Because... I think everybody understands that our offer would have some margin of safety built into it. So yeah. in a market where everything sells itself, you don't really need that. But now there's a lot of people calling and say, okay, tell me that price. And so what we've done, and we've got a bit of an algorithm that we use to first figure out what we think the home's going to sell for. So we have about three different ways that we assess it. Yeah. And then based on the trajectory of the market, I will assign our margin of safety. So sometimes that's as high as 15% and sometimes it's as tight as within 4%. So when the market was, you know, in an upward trajectory, I was willing to guarantee homes at 96%. If we're losing 5% a month and I've got a 90 day runway on this thing, then I need 15% because yeah. I can't be the one. And I have been a number of times as the bag holder. By the time we got to the end of the term, I was underwater 10% on the property. You yeah. only need to do that and lose 80 grand on a house a couple of times before you <laughs> tighten up your game. Yeah, that algorithm is better. Yeah, the algorithm <laughs> tightens up the time you lose five figures. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's done well for our agents and for our yeah. company. It's set us apart a little bit and solved a lot of problems for people. A lot of people use our guarantee or the sale assurance, as we call it, really as a tool to be able to get their next property because they get an unconditional offer from us. So they are effectively able to go and get bridge financing on their next property because their yeah, home is- They sold. don't have to go subject to sale or anything. Correct. So their home is sold. So a lot of people will use that as a tool, as a stepping stone, and then we keep the home listed. We do better than what my offer is and- they get to move into their next house first. And right. And are there any of those properties you buy? And then you're like, I'm going to keep this. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah? Okay. yeah, definitely. We've kept a handful and that's where that private equity firm that we manage comes into play. So there's times where if the property's right for the type of property we buy, we just buy it and tuck it into the portfolio. Yeah. And are you providing a return to investors? Yeah. Like, is it dividend quarterly or how does that generate? Yeah, we do a quarterly distribution and the way it works is I pay the hurdle rate of 8%. So everybody gets eight and then we're 50, 50 partners on anything I do beyond the eight. And so I'm shooting for, you know, mid twenties returns annually, and I'm hoping to participate in at least a third of the upside. Cool. Awesome. Are you looking for more people to get in there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Matt's bringing out his checkbook right now. Well, we've actually closed the fund for a while because we've kind of been selling a number of the properties we bought over the last couple of years and moving things towards a land assembly. So we have a pretty big land assembly that we're doing with seven different properties. And so once that's sort of done and transacted, then we'll be opening the fund up again to take that next step with those properties and build them out. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Your marketing is obviously you know, supported you throughout your career. What is the best thing you can do marketing wise if a new agent's coming in? Like what's the number one thing that moves the needle? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a lot of, especially realtors, we get sold everything. Like our phone rings constantly. Like people are trying to sell us yeah. some $2,000 a month package. It's going to light the world on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And I, as I mentioned in the beginning, am a complete lay down. So I have bought all of these yeah. and tested them all. And there's a handful that do actually work. But the one that stood the test of time, I've been doing it for over a decade, is Google PPC. The reason why I like it is it's very predictable, very scalable. And once you understand your input costs, you know what your cost per lead is, and you build out your protocol for how you're going to deal with those leads, you can predictably and confidently expect a certain return on that. And I've been able to get, you know, between 10 and 15 to one ROI. So it's like having a machine you feed hundreds into and yeah. or, you know, feed $10 bills in and get hundreds. Yeah. Out. Yeah. No, that's great. I think Russell Morlock. I was going to say Russell Morlock does that. He said that his only competition in the city is you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's obviously it works. I think you have to know what you're doing a bit to do that, but yeah, I mean, look, either you do it small and it's you and you have a really controlled environment. That's the most profitable yeah. it'll ever be. Like if you're just a singular agent, you're doing it and you buy 50 leads a month and you can convert at 3%, you're going to do, you know, one to two deals every month, right? Yeah. At scale, when you've got inside sales agents and other agents, and that's when you start to need systems and protocols and you need to have, you know, some really tight tracking and all that. And your ROI, because now you're sharing the commission with the agents, your ROI shrinks down a little bit, but your hands off. So yeah, there's two aspects of it, but definitely need systems to do yeah. PPC. Well, the branding aspect, like when people see me on the radio, the TV, the billboards, all that stuff. And I think it would be a mistake for people to think that's what generates the business for our firm it really isn't. But I think that is like the supercharging of our other marketing, because yeah. if you've seen me on TV or you've heard my name on the radio and suddenly you see a Google ad right? Where someone might be skeptical initially, I think, because if you're a bit of a household name, it makes your ads a little more clickable. So I probably get clicks cheaper than Russ does because people know who I am more so. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Like the billboards and stuff like that, like nobody calls a billboard, but if it's between you and some other person that nobody knows, they're probably going to pick the person that they're familiar with. Right. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So talking about algorithms, like how are you using ChatGPT or AI in your business? Like I'm assuming it goes beyond realtor works or? For sure. Some really cool ways of like putting out content. So we use a thing called Answer the Public. And so it scrapes the whole internet from like all the different Reddit forums, Google searches, Bing searches, everything. And it tells you what people are asking around certain subjects. So you could type in Kelowna real estate and then you'll see you know, what the search volume and what the query volume is for all of that. Probably so, when you say the podcast, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Because yeah. I keep Googling it to see if we come up. Yeah, go to answer the public and you'll see exactly what people are asking. And then yeah. you create content specifically that answers the question of the minute because that's changing. That's always in a constant state of flux. Yeah. And so, you know, recently, one of the ones was like, why is Kelowna real estate so expensive? So then how do I use ChatGTP? Well, first of all, I sit here and brainstorm, why is Kelowna real estate so expensive? <laughs> I come up with all my bullet points yeah, yeah. and then I copy paste those bullet points into ChatGTP and I say, 
in a conversational tone. And it comes down to the prompts once you have good prompts, yeah. but you tell it the tone that you want. The future is prompting. Yeah. And you sound like, write me a three minute video script for why colonial real estate is so expensive and make sure you touch on all of these points and you tell it how you want to sound. And then bang, within 10 seconds, you've got your video script complete with like, it tells you the shot transitions. It tells you everything. So now I go to my video guy and say, here's what we're doing. Let's go shoot it. Yeah. Like I could have created that video on my own and I have, you know, hundreds of videos that yeah. I did without chat GTP. Yeah. But I can tell you the volume that you're going to see going forward now, like I cranked out three videos on Friday that, you know, a year ago would have taken me a month to do it. I yeah. did it in a day yeah. from like yeah. conception to it was edited and done and ready out the door in a day. I think that's, that's where I think chat GTP comes in. It's like, technology enabled agents are going to dominate. Yeah. Everyone's going to have their own wicked little assistant. We just have to learn how to do it though. Like we're at such the beginning right now. Like I feel like it'd be a seriously wrong foot to not get on this or at least learn what's up. Totally. Yeah. Learn how to prompt because it's harder than it sounds. I tried to make a logo for our podcast. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you could actually do images on it as well, but yeah, it worked out pretty good. It was basically like Matt and I Google heads on a surfboard in the lake with mics. Anyways, that's not. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. Well, so I guess on that point, within what was it, three minutes or less? Why is Colonial real estate expensive? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some obvious stuff, right? I mean, we've got these universities. Universities always have a massive yeah. impact. You know, now we're going to have the downtown. Yeah, yeah. That is, it's going to have a big impact. Yeah. Then on top of that, you know, we've got. Demographically in Canada, you've got so many baby boomers retiring and reaching that sort of place of mobility where they're like, okay, where do I want to live? And they really have two awesome choices, which are Victoria or the sister city Kelowna. And we're seeing that we get a pretty solid portion of the people who want to come here. In addition to that, we have the highest amount of people per capita living on residual income in Kelowna, which means if you're wealthy and you want to just post up somewhere and collect dividends, this is a great place to do that. Yeah. On top of that, we've got Interesting. a tech scene that's blowing up. That's yeah. bringing people Big here. We've got the great climate. I can go on about the lifestyle. The lifestyle obviously is a huge, huge piece of it. And so as a consequence, a lot of people want to come. So we have in-migration. We are seeing a little bit of a brain drain now, though. Guys, you know, your age and even younger, Brad's age, are heading to Alberta now to try to get their foot on the property ladder because things have gotten so expensive. So we're losing some folks again, like I saw 15, 16 years ago, last time things got crazy. Yeah. No, that's a good point. You know, it's funny, like you said, 15 years ago, half my friend group has moved to Alberta. A couple of them have moved back recently. Hmm. But yeah, most of them just ended up building a life out there. And yeah, if it's happening again, it's kind of sad to see youth go out that way. But I think the tech sector wasn't strong 15 years ago. You know, it was like Club Penguin mm-hmm. kind of started. Those guys made a ton of money selling to Disney and that kind of really started to motivate things there. So COVID too, like everyone's working behind their computers. So you want to live where the lifestyle is. Yeah, the gig economy. Now yeah. people, they can work remotely. You don't need to be in the city anymore. So you had a lot of people cashing out of Vancouver and coming yeah. here and we were relatively affordable compared yeah. to Vancouver, right? You could sell a house in North Van for a million eight take your million eight here and upgrade your life considerably, you know, yeah. put a few hundred grand to the bank. Right? Yeah. And so it was a nice proposition for those folks. I think that's kind of ended though, as Vancouver's markets feeling a bit of the pain right now. So we're not yeah. seeing that arbitrage play happen as much. Yeah. Not the mass exodus there. I'm assuming you do a ton of kind of goal planning, personal development. Can we touch on that a little bit? Sure. Like obviously AG1, mud water workout, <laughs> but are you like, I think it's Bill Gates. He does, you know, a think week where he yeah. just, goes out for a week, yeah. he drinks a ton of Coca-Cola, Diet Coke maybe, brings yeah. a few books. Yeah. yeah, what generates the ambition and, you know, like what kind of gets you going with these ideas? Yeah, that's great. I'd love to unpack that. So Think Week's awesome. I'll never get a week because I've got a wife and yeah. four-year-old, but I can get like a Think Night sometimes. I'll yeah. check myself into Sparkling Hill or something with a book and just yeah. my laptop and geek out. But what I found for getting into that space where I can really just think is nothing's better than float tank. And again, I can attribute that to Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. It's actually it's kind of a shame how much influence that guy has on my I know, I'm looking at you. I'm like, wow, this is Joe. <laughs> Whatever, you guys are podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, that was a compliment. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, where are you going, Cologne? So there's a place called Float Space. Yeah, okay. On Kirshner there. Yeah. And it's awesome. You can go in there for, in 90 minutes and just completely unplug and just lay there suspended in midair, right? You yeah. don't, for anybody that hasn't floated, like you can't detect the water. It's heavily salted. So you just float yeah. on the top and it's the exact temperature as your body. So you don't even know it's there. And obviously there's no light, there's no sound. And so it's just you and your thoughts. And 
I will sit there until something like I usually go in there with like a problem that I want to solve. Yeah. Sometimes a little microdose of mushrooms helps. Yeah. Yeah. And then see Joe Rogan and Joe. I didn't even know this stuff today. Yeah. Anyway, you sit there and then usually by about like an hour, an hour and 10, all of a sudden I'm starting to get some really good traction on whatever the problem is I want to solve. And then as soon as I got to figure it figured out, I got my notebook right there pop the lid on that float tank, write down my thoughts, and then have a shower and jump back in the car. So that's like my think minute. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In. Works good. That's, I do that like once a month and it's been awesome for me. That's a good idea. That yeah. is awesome. But as far as goal setting, because I like live in the macro, like I'm very like visionary oriented. So I have long range visions and I write myself letters from the future. And oh, it's interesting. Nice. I just wrote or I just read one that I had written back in 2013. It was a 10-year oh, letter from the future. Based on 2023. And, yeah. And it was wild how much stuff came to fruition. Like, yeah. Some of the stuff I overshot a little bit, but I was probably like 80% on the things that I put into motion at that time. And, you know, we've 10 x our business in that period of time. So yeah. it was pretty lofty stuff that I was talking about doing. Like it was really just my brother and I and, yeah. you know, and a handful of you know, ragtag guys that had joined the squad at that time. And yeah. we had a pretty big vision and we executed that vision and then some in that 10 years. So that was cool. And then there's a lot of stuff in there, you know, talking about having kids and having a vacation property in Scottsdale and yeah. just the different things that at that time, I don't even know why I thought that was for sure going to happen, but yeah. it, it all came to pass. Yeah. And so there's a lot of power in your intention. And so I'm always writing down goals and I've got 10 year vision from here forward. And I even just saw one from 2018. I use a Penzu journal. It's like a journaling app. Yeah. Okay. It just throws you random memories. The same way Facebook will throw you a memory from yeah. five years ago. It's like, here's your journal entry from five years ago. And I read it and it's crazy the amount of specificity I had about what I was intending to do and then how much of that had come to pass. So I'm a big believer in putting your goals down on paper and then try to crystallize it with a letter from the future. You're using verbiage like it's already happened. Right? Yeah. And thanking yeah. yourself for yeah. doing the things and the things that you know in your mind you have to do to get there, it's a pretty cool exercise. Have you read Vivid Vision by Cameron Harrell? No, but I have heard about that book. Apparently it's awesome. Yeah, it's essentially the same thing. I think he does a three or maybe it's a five year, but you can either write like a magazine news article or a letter or mm -hmm. whatever. And yeah, I did the same thing. And yes, I believe in manifesting, but I believe- Did your office have a real desk in it? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. At a plastic table. It is very like, you know, do this project. And it was really the month of just like, we took a month, there was a group of guys that we did it together. And, you know, loved doing it, loved the exercise. And like you said, a year or two goes by and like we kept up, we had weekly meetings for about a year. Everyone was on track, crushing goals. And then people had kids and you kind of got busy for a year. And uh, we had a meeting just a month ago and somebody was like, oh, like I reviewed my vision, like where are you guys at? Some things I got, some things I didn't. And I was like, yeah, I should look at mine too. And it was like the same time I looked at that, I was like, right, I had on there to buy a big white property. And then like within days, we got a big white property. Like it just manifesting this stuff, it is incredible to do. So like having that vision, I think is important for people. You touched on a key piece there and that was circling back and reading the thing that you wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think where a lot of people go wrong with goal setting is they'll set these goals. They'll take that piece of paper, stuff it in a drawer and not look at it for a year. Yeah. In fact, one of the things we do at Vantage with our group is we work on a 12-week year. Have you guys heard of that? No. It's really good. So it's based on the idea that, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, people will allow as much time as they can have yeah. to hit certain goals. So yeah. we have shortened the periodization. So you get 12 weeks, that's your year. The idea is we can get as much done in a week as you would get in a month. Totally. Right? If you compress the activity. And then you have week 13 because you get four years now in every year. So you get to compound your business much faster. And you have this idea of week 13 is either if you hit your goals, you get to celebrate. So you get that start and stop. You get that reward, that feedback loop of like, this is why I do this. You get to take the family to Mexico if you yeah. hit your goals. Or, or it can be something smaller depending on resources at the time. But you got to take a minute to acknowledge the wins. Yeah. And then if you didn't, then you actually have week 13 to catch up. And that is where, again, you realize what you can really accomplish in a very short amount of time. If, you know, all of the tactics or the things that you said you were going to do didn't get done, you got a bonus week now to get it done, yeah. but you don't get to celebrate on the other end because yeah. the next year starts. <laughs> yeah. But that level of accountability, and we have that way of accountability partners for our 12 week year has really helped because you're touching on your goals constantly because A, you have the accountability and B, yeah. you've compressed it. So there's the longest something could ever sit in a drawer for us 12 weeks. Yeah. Right. Because you got to go back and measure right. whether you hit it or didn't. So, and then you guys reassess, you're like, should this still be a goal? Like, should you keep it for the next 12 weeks? Yeah. Some things get moved forward. Some things 
become redundant, right? Yeah. It's funny. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Actually talking to Taylor about this too is like as an agent, sometimes I find myself just looking for the next deal. Like it's just like you get lots of deals together, but you just find that a few months have went by and all you've cared about is the next deal. Like just do it like with the client, helping them find the house. But like the time is going to pass anyway. Right. So the time is passing. So like you need to start kind of setting pillars and going with the goal. So I think something like this is ideal, right? Like well, I do have the vision board and all that. And I think you have to have that. Yeah. Like how important I'm asking myself this as well, but how important is it to celebrate the wins? Because yeah, like Emily and I went to Mexico recently and like, you don't know how much of a break you need. And then, you know, last night we're working until like 11 o'clock and I'm like, we can't just fall back into that rut. You know, you got to achieve the goals, celebrate, take a breath, acknowledge it. Cause that's the only thing that's going to motivate you for the next one. So yeah. you do that within your team. Like mm -hmm. I, I think I've seen you guys all go to Mexico and stuff before as a team. Do you just, yeah. is that part of the culture there? Yeah. It's definitely part of the culture to take holidays, to take breaks, because I think if you don't take breaks, you never go hard. Like yeah. if you're constantly just on this hamster wheel for, you know, a year on end, you're probably operating at like a 70% capacity, yeah. right? And you're never celebrating anything. So it's not that much fun. And you realize intuitively that you're not really living up to your full potential. So it's kind of a grindy existence versus sprint. And so even if you are up till 11 working on your business, which is cool, you know that you're only going to be doing it for another 10 weeks. And you know that doing what you're doing is going to get you to this cool thing that you've set in your mind that you want to do this next trip and right and so not that you want to live your life kind of in this series of trips and everything in between is a grind if you're doing the thing that lights you up and you know you're building something that's great and you know you're putting the infrastructure in place so eventually you'll buy back your time because yeah. that really is the secret of business is to create surplus and then to take that surplus and buy back your time right yeah. that yeah. is the real currency yeah yeah but you know you're doing that and in between you know you're going to stop and celebrate the wins you're going to celebrate these little quarterly goals that you've set for yourself and then that's good for marriage maintenance as well. You got to go away with your woman and enjoy and just, and it's important too, that when you do go away, you don't bring your phone, you don't bring your laptop and you don't try and do deals. Yeah. You know, you at least need to have somebody on your team or in your network that you can have that reciprocal agreement with that. Hey, like if you do business, my business while I'm gone, don't charge me and I'll do the same for you. Yeah. Because if they're going to charge you 50% of the deal or whatever the case is, you're then going to add, okay, I'm probably not going to do as many deals. The deals I am going to do, I got to cut them in half. Plus this trip was expensive, yeah. right? And so now the cost of the trip becomes prohibitive and you don't go. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> so yeah. you have to kind of have that part worked out, which is one of the nice things about our team is we really celebrate that, you know, reciprocal agreement between agents who are all kind of trained and operate at the same level too. So you yeah. got to... Yeah. yeah, kind of all heading in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. And do you just train internally with your team or do you train outside? Like you've got a training academy, are we calling it? Yeah, yeah. Advantage West Academy is a newer arm of our business, which is there to coach and consult agents outside of our marketplace. We don't train anybody in this marketplace. Okay. Like it's for folks outside of our market that looking to implement some of the systems yeah. that we've done. And, you know, the full transparency, the reason why I do it is, we have a pretty big goal to expand Vantage West across North America. And I think one of the best ways to do that or to create the relationships, because we want to do that in a joint venture capacity. So finding good operators in their local market. So I feel that if I start off in a coaching arrangement, the vibe is good. You're implementing the stuff. You're getting traction. At some point, the natural conversation becomes, do we want to do more of this together and in what capacity? And so that is, I think, the overarching goal of the coaching company is to find great joint venture partners. But I'm really enjoying teaching and paying it forward and obviously being paid for that as well. So Yeah, I find it's about not just return on investment, it's return on energy. Like yep. Somebody said that. I should find out who's told me that. But <laughs> that's the big one for me. Like if I finish my day and I feel energized and excited, that's what I need to keep focusing on. If you use that as your barometer, you'll find that there's times where you can work 10, 12 hours on something and you still feel energized. That's your body telling you that you're on the right track because you're doing something that is like it's not soul sucking sometimes you can work six hours on stuff that you hate yeah and at the end of it you're just like oh my god yeah great. so that's a pretty good litmus test as to whether you're not you're working on the right stuff yeah so you haven't branched out at all yet you're still in clone vantage west is still regional where's the first spot we've got a really good operator in calgary that we're looking yeah. to work with okay i've got someone in Kamloops that i think would make a great fit as well awesome and would love to get into the South Okanagan because we generate so much business in the South Okanagan already. So it's a natural for us because yeah. right now our agents don't want to drive to Soyuz. Yeah. And so <laughs> it would make sense for us to have that, like just because it's, it's just easy to implement. Yeah. We already have the broker's license for BC. Yeah. Calgary would be our first sort of interprovincial. Awesome. Any of your agents going to go there, like kind of like 
I don't know, move there or go visit there? It's interesting. I did have a conversation with one of my agents who kind of, it's on their radar to move to Calgary potentially. And yeah. so there's some conversation that's warranted there. Yeah, that probably help you at least peace of mind a bit to know a person like that. Yeah. Working, but yeah, yeah. Well, the gal that's an operator down there, I've done for a long time. So yeah. Also, if it would be total trust and peace of mind there. Yeah. Here we go. Vantage East. It's going to happen. I think Alberta's still West. And yeah. I don't have to change that <laughs> logo yet. Yeah. West is anything East of Alberta. There you go. It's East. I think Eastern you can yeah. Okay. We'll jump into our final questions if you're okay with that. Yeah. If you could buy one property in the Okanagan next 12 months, what would it be? For me at this stage, I really want, especially since I have a young girl and I've got now a niece and a nephew, I want a lake property that's sort of like our legacy property where, you know, phones go in a bag, there's no technology and it's like memories yeah. are made here. So for yeah. me, that's kind of where my mind's at. I think the Okanagan off affords that amazing opportunity. And yeah. If we can make it happen, a lake property would be this. Come to the lower mission, man. Phones do not work here. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. Good we still have, as much as we've been prodding TELUS, cell phones still do not work in here. Yeah, TELUS is the show sponsor, by the way. <laughs> What's the best thing you've ever spent money on? Rental property in Kelowna. Yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. I mean, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I'm at if it wasn't for the yeah. you know, the wealth that was created through that over 15, 20 years. It's just, you got to take a long horizon on it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll never regret picking up rental property and holding it for long periods of time. Yeah. Do they have to cash flow, you think? Or I think so. Yeah. Personally, or this might lower your bar now and say they have to at least cover themselves. But I don't think you want to take negative cash flow drag into a challenging economy unless you've just got cash flow to burn. Also, like I kind of tell people, like as soon as it's a negative cash flowing, like your ability to scale is just cut off, oh, right? Yeah, like, you don't have any. Each yeah. property should help the next one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Best book or quote you have for us? Yeah, I like the quote, and I'll probably butcher it, but the Henry Ford quote that anytime you're kind of up against a headwind, remember that planes take off against the wind, not with it. Yeah. And that's been really true in my life. Every time I've come up against adversity and, you know, it's been that like, do I retreat or do I forge ahead? Anytime I've ever forged ahead, what's on the other side of that adversity has always been amazing. Yeah. So I think, I think pressing it right now, because like, this is the market. Yeah. Right? No, I love that quote. And as, as far as books, I mean, I'm a big reader. I really like the book Traction by Gino Wickman. I yeah. think it's a phenomenal book if yeah. you're looking for an operating system for your business. And shout out to my neighbor, Dan Martell. He just put out an amazing book. Oh, the second person to bring that up. Well, it's great. So book. Dean was the first, I think. Yeah. Really want to read his book. I listened to a podcast of him recently on Brandon Turner's podcast. Super fascinating guy. Like his story was really cool, especially the way he started out. I was like, I would love to have him on the podcast. And Dean was like, yeah, you're going to have to work up there. But I mean... If we got you, you're his neighbor. We got Joe Rogan. How can we not get that much pull with Dan? I just ran into him in the airport. He was on his way to Scottsdale. I think he had like 11 podcasts booked. Oh, there with big names like Dean Grazioni. And yeah. So, yeah. Great book recommendation. Definitely going to need a table, Taylor. You're going to need a table for that. Just for the listener, we do have a table. Okay. It's actually sponsored by Royal LePage. But, okay, I'm going to get one more question in before Matt gets his final one in. What's your biggest question? goal right now that you have like what do you want to achieve if you're writing the letter to yourself 10 years out like to kind of circle back what we were talking about yep what are you going for i'm trying to put 200 multifamily doors brand new affordable housing doors together as a long-term purpose-built rental you want to build them yep in nice. the okanagan obviously yep here yep. in the okanagan awesome. in the rutland area i get that built really want to get our new headquarters built i've got a 11-story building planned for right across the street from the train station pub downtown. Oh, yeah. Really cool, very aggressive project for one city lot. But I think we've got a plan now that the city will accept. And the plan there is to expand our team into that. And we're already paying 25 grand a month in rent between the three offices I rent. So yeah. it's a no-brainer for us to consolidate there. And then we're going to do a co-working space. So we'll have like 100 other businesses operating out of there, like a mini innovation center. Yeah the rooftop patio for events and we'll have five residential units there so people can do the work live. It'll be a really cool space. So that for me is like the coup d'etat if I can get that built. And then ultimately if I can get a passenger drone that takes me from my house in high plant, puts me on the roof, then I've completed the full 10 year. Hey, that's very possible. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> my only question is how big is uh, the say housing on the side of the building? It will not sing anything <laughs> whatsoever. I'm moving away from the Hazzy stuff. It's going to be all vantage. I did. Yeah. yeah. It was good to have a name for the sort of last yeah. chapter of our existence, but yeah. we're at scale now. I think yeah. it's time to start disassociating the Hazzy name and just move it towards vantage and yeah. that exclusive. I think I have noticed you doing that yep. already. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, AJ. It's been awesome. So, how can we, our listeners, help you? You know what? If you want to stay in touch or just follow our content, a great place to do that is at VW Academy. That's yeah. us on Instagram. 
great. You have some quality uh, market updates too that you put on. Yeah. Yeah. Our YouTube channel. And just my name, AJ Hazzy on YouTube. You'll, yeah. you'll be able to subscribe and keep up the date on. I put them out at least every other month. I try to do them monthly, but every other month you can count on me giving you the, yeah. uh, the straight goods on the market. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, well, appreciate man. your time, man. My pleasure. This was fun. Yeah, okay. definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.